welcome to the Rock Music Alliance interview sessions. I am your host, Cole Coleman. On today's episode, part two of my two-part interview with members of Mahogany Rush and our special guest, John Tempesta, drummer for The Cult and Rob Zombie. Attention guitar players, join the Thimble Slide revolution and free your slide finger. With its patented shape, you can slide and fret while wearing the Thimble Slide. Visit thimbleslide.com. That's thimbleslide.com. We're back and switching over to conference call with Mahogany Rush and John Tempesta. John, do they still use side fills today? Uh, yes, we do. Uh, mainly um, like Billy, our guitar player, Billy Duffy, he no in-ears, never had him, full-on volume. But the rest of us are in ears. And um, I love it because it's very consistent. Once you have a good monitor engineer and like my mix is always dead on, even if like we do like um, big like outdoor shows and I could really rely on him where I just go up there and it's perfect. And Jimmy, they have this uh, drum throne um, it's called Porter and Davies. It's made in England, and it's, the subwoofer is built in the actual throne itself. So uh-huh. I don't even have any side fills anymore. I have eight drivers in my in ears with the sub, uh, the the throne, and that's all I need. I have more power than I could use. No, Damn. no side fills, nothing. I because I played back in the day with Zombie and all that with jo- like a PA behind me, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah. I'd like to try it, man. I've never tried it. I'm dying to try it. You would love it. You would love it. Yes, to be consistent, your guy. Very, very consistent. Yeah. You That's know, the if best he part. screws up one night, man, your you know, your phones are gone. Like, what are you going to do, man? <laughs> but it's. I mean, it is with your pack. You have the uh, you know the in ear pack, and you have the volume set where if you want to go a little louder or less or whatnot of the gig itself. But oh, so you still have some control. But you do need a good, like, very good uh, monitor engineer that knows his Yeah, stuff. yeah. Yeah, it makes a difference. So uh, what happened that caused you guys to part ways? <laughs> well. He farted too much. <laughs> I, wanted, uh, I wanted to get paid. Must have been in Chiquitas backstage. That's what happened. <laughs> yeah. I ended up, I ended up uh, actually just uh, leaving um, Frank when actually I could have ended up still play with him and do all the other things I wanted to do. I see. But I just felt that, that uh, you know, this had been the only band I had ever been in since I was a teenager. So it was a little bit uh, maybe confining to, to stay keep, stay that way, you know. So instead, I wanted to try and play other, other types of music that I like. And I still, to this day, really like just l- lightly amplified blues. Mm-hmm. Kind of blues, Mike Bloomfield, you know, uh, Lynn County Blues Band, Paul Butterfield Blues Band, uh, that kind of stuff. The Almond Brothers are maybe at the limit of that, you know. And uh, so uh, I really like uh, that kind of music. And uh, uh, I ended up trying all kinds of different things. Uh, I, I left. The band wasn't touring that much. I left uh, Frank and I ended up going because I, I'm Jim Zeller harmonica player on our version of Roadhouse Blues. Uh, had just uh, come out of jail. Terrible. He got uh, caught uh, in some terrible bus that went down in New York. Ended up doing all kinds of I was there at the time. Comes back to Montreal, and I'm convinced that he's about to become the next big star of the Quebecois music scene. 
but it didn't turn out that way. So after about a year and a half of trying with Jimmy and nobody wanting to invest time in this work, really talented musician's career, it was going nowhere. And then I started playing with all kinds of different. But Jimmy, uh, Jimmy wasn't allowed playing in the States after that uh, crap in New York. The, that, that was a problem as he was banned for life from the United States, oh, except okay. that the, uh, the, 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 the district attorney of uh, New York, Manhattan, told him that whenever you got a shot and somebody wanted you to play Carnegie Hall or wanted you to play some other, you know, Madison Square Garden or something like that, I'll try and give you a special dispensation so that they let you come in the border to play that show. But aside from that, it was just in those days. Frankly, since the mid-70s, we've had a lot of trouble with more and more protectionism at the border. Yeah. And, and uh, the Canadian government seemingly not minding that too much because th- that way they get to keep us Canadian musicians in the Canadian music scene, which is uh, what... Yeah. I had a drunken driving charge. I couldn't get in there for five years. Mm, yeah. I couldn't get back in the states. Yeah, so now it takes it takes quite a it's quite a process to get into the United States. I and uh, I worked uh, a little bit uh, as I got elected to the board of the musicians union here in uh, local of the American Federation of Musicians. And one of the first things I tried to do was get involved in American Federation of Musicians, the whole federation, not just a local. And the first thing I found out was what, no, people, you're not supposed to do that. You know, only presidents and secretary treasurers get to go down to the convention and, uh, you know, mm. go to the golf tournament and all that once a year. And, you know, uh, we don't want to hear about you guys, you know. And, and I just thought that's one of the biggest problems with the American Federation of Musicians. There's a disconnect between local members and the federation. They don't do anything for the musicians. So I worked on a bunch of issues, and one of them that, that's of interest to me is immigration. ACDC opening for Mahoney and Rush. How was that? That was when we were 20th century. Wow. ACDC opened for us. (laughs) That was the uh, Texas International Music uh, Festival. No, that was in Santa Monica. ACDC? Yeah, remember we had uh, the intro. We we used the uh, 20th century uh, thing there for an intro to sound. No, no, no. That's another thing. ACDC, um, we did we did the Texas. Uh, that was with the original singer. Yeah, on Scott. The yeah. Texas International uh, Jam at the Cotton Bowl, and the next morning we uh, they call us up and they say, "You guys want to do? We want to add a show free to the public, and it's a a just a a spontaneous thing. We've got this new band that just." They just arrived from Australia, and they're going to open the show for you. And you guys get to do a show at this little auditorium that's next to the Cotton Bowl. And it'll be a noon show. Noon? Noon. Noon show, and it's open to everybody. It's all ages, you know. And so, and it was in this uh, basically uh, basketball uh, stadium, you know, indoors. And uh, so that's when ACDC, that was their first American uh, 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 performance. Wow. I remember going out and listening a little bit to Angus and going back in the dressing room and going, hey, I get guys playing in SG is pretty good, you know? Yeah. Check this guy out, you know? It was very much the same kind of thing as when we saw Randy Rhodes. 
and uh, and and Richie Blackmore. When you see those kind of guitar players, they really like wow. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, that's I agree. Uh, Randy Rhodes. Yeah, Nugent also. Oh no, uh, Randy Hanson. Remember him? We when we went to see Randy Hanson uh, in Seattle, and uh, Frank and Randy got to meet, and uh, you know, uh, and uh, Pat Travers. Oh yeah, Pat. Yeah. Well, Nico McBrain was playing with Pat. That's when I met him. Wow, Nico, yeah. he's a character. That one. Yeah, he's great. I love you. Know great him well. People. I do. Yes. Yeah. Oh, great people. Man. <laughs> I'll tell him you said hello. Yeah, definitely. Is he living out there? No, he lives in Boca Raton, Florida. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's what I thought. Uh, I got to give him a call, man. You should. I'll give you his number. I've been waiting for him to come to town, you know, because usually he comes to town and I go, well, you know, mm-hmm. go and see him. Now, he's great, man. What a player. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what a character, what man. What a character. I love it. Yeah. Well, that brings us to the end of our time talking about Mahogany Rush. Thanks, Paul Harwood, Jimmy Ayub, and Claudio Pesavento for coming on the show and giving us the inside story. Thank hey, you. thank you guys, man. Now, the guys are all sticking around, but when we come back, we're doing Drum Talk, featuring Jimmy Ayub and John Tempesta. It's time that rock music has its own awards, the RMA Awards, its own scholarships, charity events, and more. And only you can make it happen by joining the Rock Music Alliance and voting in the RMA Awards. You can join as either a musician, an industry professional, or if you just love rock music, you can join as a patron of rock. Everyone can join, and everyone gets to vote. Join the Rock Music Alliance. Go to rockmusicalliance.com. That's rockmusicalliance.com. Hey, this is Francesco DeCosmo from Thin Lizzy and Evanescence, and you have to join the Rock Music Alliance. We're back with members of Mahogany Rush, and we're going to do Drum Talk, featuring Jimmy A. Ayub and our special guest, John Tempesta. Hey, Paul Harwood, you got anything to start us off? You know, Neil Peart, uh, the late Neil Peart, passed away recently. And he was a student of a guy who was a big molar technique uh, proponent, you know. And so I, I went, and, and I have a friend of mine, Jeff Simons, a jazz drummer here in Montreal, who uh, was telling me all the time about the Mueller technique and, and this and that. So I went and checked out this guy's got the wonderful videos about the Mueller technique. And it's a it's a beautiful concept, a very flow. Mueller? Yeah. And it's a whole... Sounds like teeth. I was just wondering... Uh, do you guys use that? And uh, is it is it part of your? Uh... You know, it's funny. Um, uh, my old drum teacher. You know, I studied with teachers before, but I never studied cool. that technique. And when I do play, it's like a natural molar, like um, especially on my left hand, because I Where's hit a rim shot every time. The molar, yeah. So basically, well, when I when I um, hit the rim shot, my fingers come off the um, the actual rim. You know, when I strike it. Yeah, right. That's a yeah. part of a molar technique. As I was like, wow, did you study that? I'm like, no, just naturally. I never heard of that. What is a molar technique? You live, What is that? It's basically uh, you can do a single stroke, double stroke, triple yeah, stroke. Yeah, but what do you do? Your hand your hand opens up when you hit? Yeah, there's, it's like, there's like a, this kind of. Yeah, I think I naturally do that. Right. Stroke, well, probably do. Stroke, yeah. stroke starting to go back up, and then the last stroke is actually 
bringing your hand okay, back. Okay, so, okay, so, we're, yeah, yeah, so bring it back up, you, you hit another strike, so it's like a double or something, no? And while the guys, one of the guys that's, that's, that's showing the, 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 uh, the technique, at one point he goes, well, this is to prove to you that there's no one way to hold the drumstick, because he says, while you're doing rudiments on a, on a snare drum, this, the, the, the rudiment itself is going to force your hand into all these weird things that are happening. Uh -huh. And he was really good at demonstrating some of them. And that got me to Tony Williams. Oh, yeah. And the whole, uh -huh. holding the drumstick with the two back fingers, that, that being the fulcrum, as opposed to what well, most of us know as, as, as match grip, you know? Yeah, so, yeah, that's how I play this technique which just blew my mind so i started talking to drummers about it and sure enough it's one of those it's it's all there all of these techniques are available at any one time so yeah, i see these things called drumio on uh yes yeah. on the internet man there's some of these guys i can't figure out what the hell they're doing they're trying to tell you and i still don't get it Oh uh, man, it's crazy. I actually went up to uh, Jermio, my friend Ron Dinette. It was they're they're based in Vancouver. So when we played oh. there one day, I stopped by the offices and they really have it down perfect, man. They give it's lessons it. and they're doing all these instruments, you know. These it's incredible, things. man. If they it's had great. that when I was I wish they had that when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. You can learn man. a lot. Exactly. Man, I could. I never knew what the drummer was doing. You had to, you know, sneak up behind them, you know, and slow watch. the records down and stuff like that. Yeah, you know, That's why like, I say they have it too easy these days. These kids. When the, yeah. when you were my when my age back then, I used to have to Great. walk through now the snow to buy this vinyl record, and you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was hard, man. When we were started. What I wanted to do real quick was, uh, John, why don't you take us through just real quick? Like, what are you using today? Like, what's your kit today? Um, I play Tama drums. I've been with them for over 25 years and there's, they've such a great company, very loyal. And, um, I have this custom kit that, well, it's the star, it's the star line, which is their flagship. It's beautiful drums. And only a few guys in Japan make these on the line, you know, I mean, really? done by hand, like, you know, the polishing and everything. And yeah, yeah, they're yeah. very thin. I play a uh, Bubinga shells. Um, and they're super thin on these and they sound unbelievable and i also have a, a kit which is walnut walnut shells and i had them custom make it in a gold top like guitar finish so uh, that's and that's cool. outstanding yes yeah. yeah, so but, uh, like a Les Paul gold top absolutely and then i use my snare drum tom had made me um i have my own signature snare drum which is a seven by 14 brass two millimeter and stuff i should show yeah, you guys yeah. my drums if i could walk with the computer if you like to take a look I'm still playing my Gretsch drums. Wow. I had all those years back then. I, I bought a set of Bayats. Nice. Which were, which were great, mm -hmm. you know, with the, the uh, there were uh, black uh, sand. Uh, uh, the satin. Yeah, satin black with, with uh, maple uh, pinstripe. And mm -hmm. the rims were maple. Yes, oh. I had one of the snare drums, the eight inch Ayat, you know, with the big hoops on them. Monster, yeah, yeah, yeah. like 18 plies and stuff. Great drum. I, I ended up selling them because I couldn't I couldn't play them anywhere. I'd go to you know the clubs around and I couldn't take them out. The guys are drunk and they'd lean on them. Hey man, you know? yeah. I love one of you. No, no, no. So I left them at home and then finally I just sold them. Because oh, yeah. my grits are fantastic. Uh, oh yeah. 
I've had them since '73. How many how many pieces in your kit? Are, are we doing uh, are we doing uh, you know dual uh, double bass or no? Yeah. Not with the cult. I, I have a double pedal just for like you know outros or some fills in there. But um, right now it's um, I'm using a, a 24 by 15, which is kind of like odd size, yeah. but I really like the depth of it and. I, I stole that from Simon Phillips. I, I heard one of his kits and I'm like, I like this. And I've always, <laughs> I've always for some reason like odd sizes, you know, like, um, 13's always been my favorite Tom sound size. And uh, I just like those sizes. So on this last tour, we did the Sonic Temple 30th year anniversary tour. And I used a 10 inch Tom, a 13, 16, 18, 20, uh, 24 kick. And I had a, a 14 inch Tom as a floor Tom on my left. Yeah, yeah, I've got that too. It's cool, man, you know. And, and I've got a 16 and I've got a 16, 18 deep. Oh, yeah, that's that's the way to yeah, go, 16, man. That's 16, a, that's... 16, 18 deep, man, that's my cannon. I love that drum, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, especially Gretsch, yeah. So, oh, yeah. I, I, I and and that's from a, they're from a long time ago, man. The kit's, what, 30, 40 years old? Man, I wish I, I still had my Gretsch now. kit. I, I, um... I I, uh, I was able to trade my drum kit with my old drum teacher because I had this. I got this Ludwig. It was more of a jazz kit, like twenty twelve fourteen. I'm like, yeah, yeah, dude, yeah. I need some big drums, man. I'm playing with these guys. Their amps are like, you know, I'm in, yeah, I'm into yeah. metal and stuff. So uh, uh, my drum teacher traded me for a, a Gretsch twenty six thirteen eighteen and Red Sparkle, and the bass drum belonged to the drummer from Dion and the Belmonts from nineteen sixty eight. Me takes the covering off and wants to recover in black because it's metal, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, oh, <laughs> and then later on, I found a matching bass drum. Get this, uh, from this guy and another 26 inch bass drum, and it happened to be red sparkle mint condition after oh. I already recovered them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's well, stuff you live and learn. Yeah, it was fun. Shit, I, but I bet they sound good. They sounded great. Yeah, <laughs> Tony Williams. You were talking about Tony Williams earlier. My old drum team was a big Tony Williams freak. So yeah, yeah. Tony Williams is also one of my favorites. Oh, Elvin, Elvin Jones. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man. So, yeah, so man. like any electronics you're using? No, no. To practice, I've got electronic kit just to. I, think so I can play in my room, you know. Yeah, I do too. I have the Roland V drum kit, which is crazy. Yeah, that's what I want to get, but I but I just bored a friend of mine because mm -hmm. uh, his Yamaha was. But I'm uh, gonna get the V kit. There's the twenties out now, right? Oh, that's old. I, I got the fifty now. They there's like, a fifty on now, and they have a real bass drum size, like a twenty-two inch bass drum. You know, oh damn! And the, they they've come a long, long way, and the feel of it is incredible. I mean, they have the oh, rubber. I love back. them. I love and them. And it looks cool, man. Yeah. <laughs> oh wow! So you got the they're they're up to fifty. Yes, yes. Twenty to thirty. I think from thirty they went to fifty, or did they do a forty? Maybe I don't know. Every yeah, other it's like twenty years. grand for a kit, though, right? But ten grand for the fifty around that, yeah. Oh, it's 10? Oh, yeah. yeah. That's uh, America. That's like uh, 15 oh, here or 14. Yeah. You guys know, do you know um, Rob Reiner from Anvil? No. The, you know, the band Anvil, obviously yeah, yeah, Canadians yeah. from Ontario. No, do I, Paul? Paul knows you know. picture, Remember, Paul? Yeah. Anvil opened up for us at uh, the first tour. A studio also. Long time ago. Okay. Yeah. 
John, so when you're in the studio, uh, yes. do, you have, do you have a particular kit you like to use for recording versus live? I do. I usually uh, tend to go to smaller drums for recording, like a 22. Live, I use a 24, but definitely for studio, I go for 22 for the punch and little smaller tom sizes. And, and then I'll go down to uh, coated heads and bastard heads for recording. Yeah, Whereas yeah. live, I'll either go clear or coated, but double ply, you know, but durability. Yeah, yeah. I'll purposes. go emperor, emperor heads. Yes, exactly. And I'm using vintage emperors, which sound great. They're a little yeah. bit thicker, like from the 70s, the mylar on them. They sound yeah, killer, yeah. man. Nice attack. Yeah. Cool, cool. Yeah. Yeah, so, they got so much now, man. But the- Yeah. You know what? Everybody makes a great product these days. Um, you know, they, they've come such a long way from back in the days from the hardware and all that and yeah, yeah, beveling yeah. of the shells. But you know I mean, it's so state of the art. It's like any drum is going to sound good. You just put it yeah, down. My hardware is DW. I love DW. Great hardware. stuff. Yeah. Great yeah. company too. Yeah. 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 Uh, Jim, are you doing any tracking these days? You're working on any projects? No, I've, I've, I've been uh, having cancer lately. So, uh, you know, oh I've been going God. through that stuff. Sorry to hear that. I'm so sorry. Well, no, I, I, I beat it. I beat it already. Though. Great. <laughs> awesome. I'm, I'm yeah. So, uh, my thing for the chemo here, but uh, but I beat the colon cancer and the liver cancer. Uh, congratulations, man! Good. Yeah, man. We but, uh, we went from shock to relief in just a moment there, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so whoa! <laughs> That's great. I should have so, waited a little bit longer. <laughs> I'm glad to hear you beat the uh, the big C, as they call it, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So like for the past ten years, I'm on and off, you know, because then it takes me time to. You know, you know, to get my uh, my my muscles back after this sure. chemo stuff really screws you up. Mm. I still I I've been off the chemo for a year and I still don't feel my hands or my feet. No, like, like all tingly, weird side effect. What about you, Claudio? I had that too for five years. It's a side five effect years. that numbs your fingers. Yeah, yeah. Now, Claudio, you had a bout with cancer. What did you uh, have to fight? Stage four lymphoma. Oh, stage four wow. lymphoma. Yeah, stage four lymphoma. Yeah, it wow. took me three years to get back to play again. Yeah. And my first gig was with Chris Squire, uh, Taylor Hawkins. We played at the Kick Club. It was the bass player live magazine. We played uh, all the Yes classics and Chris Squire's solo, solo album. It was amazing because, you know, he called me and said, Claudio, I have a gig for you. Chris Squire called me and said, hey, which kind of gig? I don't worry about it. I send you the list. <laughs> and I had like two weeks to f- all this f- that I never played before. <laughs> <laughs> You've always been in touch with uh, Chris Squire, no? Yeah, but he died now. He's dead. Yeah. He, uh, yeah, he was friends with him a long time, yeah. Blood cancer. What's yeah, going the on? type of blood cancer. It, it took him real fast. You know, like oh he, damn. Yeah, yeah. You may not know he was diagnosed with it, and then like within two to three months he was gone. Me, it's always slow. Everybody's gonna think I'm gonna die, and then bang, I beat it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everybody can't believe it. They say I got like 19 lives. Yeah, you do. Good, good. With the gear being so good these days, uh, do you have like pesky little things like snare buzz ever happen, or uh, is that? cured with all the good gear today i believe it is yeah i mean i like my snares pretty loose i don't know about you jim yeah, on the snare. Yeah, exactly. i use the wide ones too the, the big fatties yeah, the 30 stranders yeah and just loosen just enough 
Yeah, I use a 40, and I, I just hate when the snare is choked up. Like just yeah, me too. Loose. I use a big one, like a little loose, so it yeah. has a little bit of length there. Yeah, damn right. All right, man. See what I'm talking about? Old yes, school. <laughs> All right. How about, how about things like uh, pedal creep? No, we uh, throw those away. Oh, yeah. Throw those away. <laughs> 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 we were talking about shells earlier, and it's uh, interesting to, to know. Do you have a, uh, uh, you know, a, a particular type of shell that you like for different music or different gigs? You know, Phil Rudd once he came up to me and uh, with this with this time, he said, Jimmy, look what I just got. It was sonar. And the things must have been an inch thick. He said, look, they're yeah. 36 ply or something. And it was so heavy. heavy. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. My my Gretsch, I think, are three or four ply. Yeah, no, they're like, yeah, thin, like, you know, three yeah. millimeters thick. If but the sonar is... Yeah, I know they're they're the they're the the beach shells. That's what nickel play too. They're nine ply beach, man. Because I used man. to play sonar before Tama, and uh, I have the yeah. lighter version, but the old ones, the phonics, man, they get heavy. You'll break your back on those freaking things, man. Forget about it. I see the bass drums, yeah. But I but I love a thin. I like. Me to too. Me, it feels like they're expanding when I hit it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it breeds a bit more because yeah, the heavy ones yeah. you really got to strike into it. But yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You ever use acrylic drums, acrylic yes. shells? Yeah. I have yeah. a few. I have the bottom, the uh, amber from the seventies with the twenty six, and I have a uh, yeah, I have a Tama one they did like you know, like you know, you got a bunch of kits. Yeah, I got a lot of. Man, uh, I ended up giving mine a friends. Here, here's a kit. There's a oh, kit. Yeah. I give Every time I thought away. I was dying, you know. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and that's nice to you, man. That's nice. Yeah. How about your favorite uh, snare drums? Like you, most drummers have like a like a particular snare they like to use. Ludwig Superphonic. That's a go-to. I would have to say um that one. Obviously, there's you know. The all-around snare, the Black Beauty Ludwig, and uh, yeah, yeah, the yeah. Tama Bell Brass, the early Tama Bell Brass. They call it the Terminator. That's been on oh, so yeah. many records. Yeah, like the Metallica Black record, uh, Nirvana, Nevermind, and so many other. It's three miller, millimeter of um, you know Bell Brass or Bell Bronze. Okay, I got to get one they're, now. They're, they're really expensive now. I have one oh, from sh- the 80s. I mean, I see them like going for over five grand for a snare. What? Yeah, because they're, they're they're hard to come by these days, and and God. everybody wants one, but other people are making them, as you know. But uh, yeah. yeah, man, great drum. Yeah, uh, the Ludwig uh, Black Beauty. I used to play with a drummer many years ago that that mm-hmm. uh, that got one. Like while I was working with him, he acquired it, and that was his pride and joy. You know, he yeah. loved that Black Beauty. You know, and uh, so do you guys, you guys ha- both have one or a Black Beauty? Yes, I do. Yeah. Mine's not the Black Beauty. It's just a, the standard. Uh, yeah, uh, are those things are they limited? Are they are they made anymore? Are they? Are oh yeah, they still make them. Yeah, okay. Ludwig. They, Ludwig came back with a big resurgence, man. They're yeah. making amazing stuff now. Great stuff. Yeah. Eh? Yes. Good. I good. don't. I don't. I didn't like my old ones. My first set, they were too uh, choked. I don't know. I feel the same. I, that's come. I like Gretsch better than Ludwig's. You know, back in the yeah, day, yeah. but it's you know, they were thinner. And even uh, which did you, did you ever play Slinglands back in the day or no? But I had a white uh, kit, a couple of drums, like a small kit. I like that. I like the slings. Hey, how about symbols? Uh, do you guys have particular symbols that you guys like to have? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's yours? 
Uh, I'm a Zildjian guy, so I've been I've been with them for uh, quite a oh, bit. Yeah. I'm an all of them guy. <laughs> all of them guys. Whatever I works, whatever right. not cracked, right? I'm not sponsored by anybody. I can use all of them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you guys have any any tips right now? Let, let's start with John here now. And any tips for like the young players coming up? I mean, they're they're looking for their first touring gigs. They're they're getting through you know MI Music School. Mm-hmm. Do you have any tips for those guys how to how to launch their careers? I would say, um, and in, especially kids going to school and whatnot, just go to as many shows as you can. Like for me as a kid, I've seen a lot of greats. I've seen Billy Cobb when I was younger and 21. All the, you know, my drum teacher took me to see all these guys, Steve Gadd, and, and you know, and just learning about different styles of music. So I would say just go to as many shows and different styles and just adapt that and, and create with your own style, just not mimicking or copy somebody else, but Make it your own style. You yeah, know? yeah. Play, play the song. Don't don't uh, play. That's right. Play for the song. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Don't uh, you know? Play your rudiments by you know like uh, like uh, you know like an idiot. Like just play what comes naturally. Just play I, let, play what comes out. Don't don't try to you know think about what you're doing first. And exactly, and look like somebody else. Yeah, just be yourself. Yeah. I mean, as most natural as you can. And honestly. don't play exactly like uh, the drummer's playing. This. Uh, if you've got to learn a tune, don't play it exactly. Play the gist of it, the, you know, that yeah. thing. Get the groove. Important. Yeah. yeah man. And I play agree. the feel of you know, the tune. In today's world, because there's you know so much information out there on the net that you know guys can you know can learn so much that way, uh, would you say that it's still relevant to have a teacher, or can they really teach themselves? I think one on one is great with a teacher. It helped me tremendously. You know, I, I, I wish I had a teacher, but the, then when we started, I was just on the road all the time. I didn't have time for. Uh, That's a situation where the net would probably be great. You'd be on the road, so you don't. You, you oh can't, yeah, the net. Yeah, you know, so, yeah you really learn a lot that way. Yeah, you can learn a lot. Everything. I mean, anything yeah, from like anything. A, the Drumeo videos and from yeah. a Paradil or you know, you know, Swiss triplets with any. You know, yeah, I mean, honestly, they go over. Me, it's like it makes me look how bad I am, you know, when I <laughs> No, not at all. Holy man, you know, damn. <laughs> how are these guys doing that stuff, you know? It's crazy, man, it's crazy. Oh. One question, one question for you guys, if you don't mind. Okay, Mahogany Rush, Rush here. Um, did you guys, um, because you guys were Mahogany Rush before Rush, was there any confusion with that back in the day? Yeah, the, at the beginning, because we used to call ourselves Rush, Mm-hmm. And like we first hit the stage, we hit the states before uh, Rush did, right? You know, and like, uh, but then when we got publicity and our records going, Rush jumped up on that. I'm sure that's what got them going—a three-piece, and they look like us, you know, a three-piece power trio. Exactly. You know, they, yeah. You got any royalty checks from Rush? did you guys uh rub elbows with with uh getty lee and and rush guys you know was there any kind of uh like like hey man you guys kind of stole our name there what's going on no never Uh, what's that paul tour of quebec and and uh uh eastern ontario right before the bands uh got to the united states uh we did a we did a tour rush mahogany rush and bull rush <laughs> what? <laughs> three did three dates. You'll see a poster. The people have put it up. I, I have put it up on our uh, Tomar's uh, Facebook page. 
uh, the, or the original Mahogany Rush Rhythm Section and Guest Project uh, Facebook page. But there's also on the Franksters and on the Frank Marino Mahogany Rush Facebook pages, you'll see a poster, uh, Rush, Mahogany Rush, Bull Rush. And it turned into a big legal legal battle because we the bands uh, actually Rush sued us saying that, uh, you know, uh, there was a copyright on the name and all of that. And they ended up tossing the thing out of out of court, uh, saying, no, there's no case. And uh, Bull Rush was uh, an, uh, Neil Peart's band before he joined Rush. <laughs> and the promoter was, I think, his brother or something like that, or his cousin. I never knew that. The tour fell apart when we ended up going to Hamilton, and we were supposed to play in the arena. And we got there, and the, there wasn't even any ice in the arena. All there were were the the, the tubes for the uh, you know refrigeration, right? And and sawdust, and there was no way we could do a tour. So we ended up suing the promoter, and I think we won some some amount, but not a lot. And, you know, we weren't talking. These were uh, regional gigs, regional Canadian gigs. Now, when we got the tour with Queen. Uh, they got the tour opening up for Kiss. Kiss ended up doing stadiums, all stadiums that whole summer, and we ended up doing, you know, thousand seater, two thousand seater theaters, all across the United States with Queen. So by the end of the year, uh, they were a bigger presence in the United States. They had leapfrogged over us, actually. And their material was more suited, I think, uh, was more focused. You know? So they got more airplay out of some of their tunes. They had great tunes, though. That's, man. How, that's how it went down. They ended up wow. having a very interesting. That brings us to the end of our two-part interview with the guys from Mahogany Rush. My thanks to Paul Harwood, Jimmy A. Ube, Claudio Pesavento, and our special guest, John Tempesta, for being on the show. Visit thimbleslide.com for the guitar slide that frees your finger. It allows you to slide and fret while wearing it. And visit rockmusicalliance.com and join the Rock Music Alliance so you can vote in the RMA Awards. For the Rock Music Alliance, I'm Cole Coleman. Be well, stay well, and join the Rock Music Alliance. Music Alliance.